Just a quick heads up. This show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminal, we just don't give a shit. Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by us, your bartenders. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And Katie. And it's Halloween week. <laughs> and I have irritated my neighbors with Monster Mash every single morning this week. <laughs> It's the season. Just the season. Just because COVID's happening doesn't mean I don't get to hear Monster Mash 86 times in a week. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I've, I'm pretty bummed about Halloween this year, which is why I think I decorated my entire apartment in August <laughs> with Halloween <laughs> stuff. It's like I need something, something to look forward to. And I'm still planning on dressing in a costume, even though I'm not really sure I'm going to do. I think I'm kind of leaning towards Bride of Frankenstein, just because it's a classic, and I feel like I never do the classics, so I don't know. Are you going to dress up? Yeah, I'm going to do Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka, the OG version. Nice, nice. Uh, I have the stuff already, so just got to do my makeup and chew on a wad of gum or something. (laughs) (laughs) I got this one since 7th grade. (laughs) I don't even know what she says. Something (laughs) Something disgusting like that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't do that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Or am I? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Another very popular costume for Halloween this year and I think it's because there's a new one coming out soon is Ghostface from Scream. So you guys all know Scream, the 90s cult classic horror movie. A very popular costume. Easy and mask friendly. Haha. So I wonder if you don't need to wear a mask if you wear that. I'm not sure. But there's a new one coming out. It was supposed to be next year but now it's going to be 2022. So... I expect to see that a lot. And I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, don't you remember, like, all the masks and scream masks that people would wear, like, back in the day? Like, I remember every freaking silver tooth kid in my neighborhood had the ghost face mask with, like, the bloody knife that was, like, the moving blood, like, depending on how you rotated it. Or, like, the -the glow-in-the-dark ones. Yep. I remember those. always some ratty kid. And they'd be on their little razor, like, zipping around the neighborhood. (laughs) With their knife. (laughs) Their fake knife. They'd always be like, your grandma let you watch that? (laughs) They probably had no idea what it is. They're just like, yeah, cool. I'm I'm (laughs) evil. (laughs) Look at my bloody knife. I know. I actually just rewatched all four screams with my roommate, and... Every time we started a new one, I was like, oh my gosh, it is definitely in the 90s or the 2000s because Courtney Cox's hair is like so extreme. Like she's the epitome of whatever was terribly in fashion at that moment. Yeah, no, they're super short, like little bangs, which are like back in style. So maybe they'll bring them back. Yeah, yeah, like the Betty ones. But hers were like even shorter than like Betty's. They were like 
looked like a bad haircut. (laughs) It looked like me when I was like four and got some scissors and took it to my hair. I'm going to cut my hair. (laughs) Or the chunkies, the chunky streaks. I think that was my favorite one that she had with like the red. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it the first one? Yeah, the first one. And the first one's the one where she has, like, that bright neon suit, too. Yeah. I'm just like, what in the world? She was styling. She was styling. I actually had streaks like that back in seventh grade. My mom, for my birthday, I asked her if I could dye my hair, and she was like, okay, you can get three highlights. So my aunt did hair, and I was just like, give me the biggest highlights you can. And they were, like, two inches thick. <laughs> I look like a skunk, but <laughs> I was styling. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do for fashion. <laughs> what you gotta do? Hey, boy, hey! <laughs> like my three streaks. I'm so edgy. <laughs> oh my gosh. So tonight's serial killer, since we're doing a little bit of a Halloween theme, we're gonna go with the killer who inspired the movie Scream uh, and all the other ones. And I have to say... One and two are my favorites. Three is a little reaching for me, or as like my roommate's friend was visiting and she had apparently never seen the third one and she was watching with us. She's like, oh my gosh, this is so meta. So meta. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I had to Google meta. No, just kidding. <laughs> but she, it was like, you know what? I get you. And then with by the fourth one, I'm also like, how does Sydney not have a personal bodyguard at all times at this point? Like, yeah, she should be a black belt. <laughs> Seriously, I'd be like punching everybody around me. Like, you ghost face, you go face. <laughs> like, Trust nobody. Seriously, oh man, my favorite is definitely number one. Uh, it has some good lines, and it's just, um, it's just fun. It's just a good one. You know, it's a good line. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> and if you know what Ghostface that's from. <laughs> if you don't, you, find out. You watch should it. find out. Scary movies are the best ones. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Scream. So the first Scream came out in 1996. Screenwriter Kevin Williamson was home. Um, well, not home. He was house sitting for a friend uh, in LA shortly after he just finished filming his first movie. He watched a special on Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. He went to Palm Springs for the weekend and wrote the entire script in three days. We can tell, dude. Thank you. <laughs> the movie was a major blockbuster and a staple in meta horror films and 90s and early 2000s pop culture. <laughs> There's that word again, meta. <laughs> yeah. Hello. So to get in the spirit of Halloween, like we said, and college parties and all things Scream, we have a fun little bloody twist on our everyone's favorite college fave beer Rita. We're going to call it Ghostface Slasherita. And you can find our recipe and all of our recipes for our cocktails that go with these crimes on our Instagram page at Crimes and Cocktails. And guess what? We forgot to mention, we also have a Patreon now. What's up? Yes, so I'm sure you can tell, um, it's not hard to, that our recording in this episode is just a little bit better than our last one. Um, We should only go up. (laughs) 
started yeah. from the bottom now we're here <laughs> all the way up uh, so we bought some new bikes and we're hoping to get some better recording <laughs> equipment yes Katie doesn't uh, sound like she's two lanes far, over far away. <laughs> I'm in Sacramento but fall you know I'm at Tabitha's house <laughs> can't tell so anyway if you'd like to support us you can sign up for our Patreon for five dollars five I can't talk tonight. $5 a month. We'll send you a sick-ass sticker, some other goodies, monthly privileges, like listening to the episode a day before it's released, right. stuff like that. And then also, like, some good, like, ask anythings, or you'll help us, like, pick our topics for episodes. Um, we have a cool swag bag if you're, like, our top tier. And one of our specialties, since they are called Crimes and Cocktails, if you sign up uh, for our Patreon, we're going to take a shot or a shot, or shots, I should say, depending on yeah. what level. I can hear Katie untwisting her tequila bottle. Right <laughs> I'm getting so, ready. We have three different <laughs> levels. Check it out on our Patreon. Um, but we this week we owe a few shots because we actually have some Patreons. So shot, 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 shots. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> But uh, so we're going to we want to thank our two new and very first. I always want to say patrons, but I guess it's actually patron. But you know what? We're drinking tequila is patrons. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, we owe you two shots for signing it for our our double shot level. And Devin, we owe you a single monster shot for joining our single shot level. Thank you guys so much. I'm drinking tequila and. I honestly think I'm just going to take one shot now and then the other two a little bit later. Ah, that was my first one. Oh, yeah. That sounded really fast. I didn't even choose you, bitch. <laughs> well, I poured my second one right oh, now. Oh, God. So okay. Let's go. <laughs> cheers. I'll cheers through the mic somehow. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. I'm going to save this third one for a secret other time um, throughout the episode. You know, blast it on me. <laughs> Because Ooh. if I take three in a row while I'm drinking my margarita, I might die. Is that when you're close? And not finish the episode. <laughs> so much echo and You should pass out in the closet. <laughs> I, I recorded my closet, so um, somebody come find me. Oh Taylor's God. all getting ready for work tomorrow, and I'm just KO'd in my chair. <laughs> okay, so thank you guys again so much for supporting us. Uh, we hope you like what you hear. And there's some swag coming your guys' way. Anyway, so let's get back to our drink recipe. So I'm calling it Ghostface Slasher Rita. Cue scream music. <laughs> okay, because nothing says Ghostface like a college party with tequila shots, cheap beer, and a squeeze of blood. Am I right? So in a shaker, you're going to add one scoop of ice, two ounces of silver tequila, because I don't like gold, one ounce of simple syrup, one and a half ounces of blood orange juice, one ounce of lime juice, and you're gonna shake, shake, shake. And then in a salted rim, go ahead and pour that in there and then top it off with your favorite lager, which I think we should go with Corona just yes. to be in season, you know? Setting. <laughs> corona. Actually, though, no, you guys should really go with corona, corona because I heard that people had stopped buying Corona because they're morons. And I'm just like, really? They actually lowered, Dude. when this thing first happened, I remember going to the store and Coronas were like on sale. So I was like, well, I'm stocking I should have stocked up. up. <laughs> I should have stocked up. I never drank so much in the first month of the pandemic. 
in my life. When you have nowhere to drive and nowhere to go, it's kind of like, why not? I remember doing, like, <laughs> Zoom calls with everyone, and we're like, happy mm-hmm. hour! <laughs> it's like 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what time uh, it is. I don't know what day it is. I don't know. I still don't know. Okay, on top of your Corona or your favorite lager, go ahead and squeeze and drop a blood orange slice and add a half ounce of Grand Marinere. And cheers. I'm already like halfway done with mine, to be honest. So I made myself a huge one and I'll just be sipping that. <laughs> <laughs> All mm-hmm. right, so. All right, we're going to start off with our original ghost face, What's Santa Rollins. <laughs> we're going to be doing that all episode, just a morning. All right. So, Danny Rowling, and as you know, uh, no good serial killer had a good childhood. Nope. <laughs> Daniel Harold Rowling, Rowling, Rolling we'll be saying that alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's our song. It's actually Rowling, but uh, yeah. I'll go in between because I, keep I thinking, was reading it different in my head. I just thinking of Rollins like, dun, dun, SVU. SVU, yeah. 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 Uh, he was born May 26, 1954, to Claudia and James Rowling in Shreveport, Louisiana. And about a year later, his younger brother, Kevin, followed. Danny Rowling's father was a police officer and United States Navy veteran who had served in the Korean War. In Danny's book, which is a wild ride, he said that his father was an abusive man, um... And an accusation that is brought up later in a letter to the court from Claudia Rowling, Danny claimed that his father was two people. One was the war hero and respected police officer, and the other was a man who was unable to control his temper. He took out his past trauma trauma on his family. As a child, James Rowling, Danny's father, witnessed his grandfather kill his grandmother by slitting her throat right across... uh traumatic to see right it happened right across the table from him wait so, at the table yeah what are they doing like so, having thanksgiving and then someone gets an argument they were prepping dinner uh so james rolling was prepping dinner with his grandmother and his grandfather just came over and killed his grandma <laughs> spent the rest of his life in jail yeah uh mental illness was like rampant in the family no that's why you don't marry your cousin just no, kidding. Seriously. I don't really know. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, there, that's Louisiana. a judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I take it back. <laughs> just kidding, Louisiana. <laughs> so Danny's Aunt Agnes Mitchell, which was his mom's sister, claimed that Danny grew up knowing he was not loved or wanted by his father. He was told all his life that he was stupid and no good. She also witnessed James kick Danny across the hall when he was a baby. Uh, abuse was not just limited to Danny and Kevin. They also witnessed their father abuse their mother constantly. He would threaten her by saying he could take the boys away and leave them at an orphanage. He would also wave his gun around and tell Claudia he was going to get her. Or that he knew how to cut people open. Claudia would often take the boys and leave James, but she would always come back. Stupid. I also read that uh, when James was like a small kid that their dad one time brought him home like a puppy and James of course is like all little kids do like love that puppy and then I guess like the dad just you know he'd have these fits of rage and he'd come home and stuff and so he'd beat the dog and like one day he mm-hmm. beat the dog so hard that it died and I think James like later talks about uh, in an interview how he remembers like holding the puppy like while it died in his arms it's like fuck yeah, their that. father was not a good dude. Mm-mm. 
When Danny was 11, his mother was found in the bathroom with slit wrists and a razor. She claimed that James, James had made her do it. An ambulance was called, and the hospital kept Claudia for quite some time for evaluation, leaving James alone with Danny and Kevin. Nobody was allowed over at the family home, and the boys were not allowed to date, choose their own clothes, or even sit on the couch. Their aunt called the police to report the abuse, but the chief of police said James was a good cop, and it was his family affair, and he wouldn't get involved. Damn fucking police. Uh, fucking pigs. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no problem getting involved with other stuff, but... Because yeah. he's a good cop. You know, I feel like we saw this, like, with the Golden State Killer, how... Uh-huh. Remember, like, his dad beat his mom, and he was in the mm-hmm. military, and the military's like, yeah, we're not getting involved, kind of a thing? Yeah. It's just kind of similar. I don't know. I don't want to make any, like, general blanket judgments, but it seems like a lot of the cop military, not all of them, some, most of them, <laughs> seem to, like, look out for them, their own yeah. and their selves. In a and maybe way. it's because they don't really realize how bad it is, and so they're just like, oh, it can't be that bad. I mean, we they're do good that cop. in a normal workplace, too. Like, if you hear, like, a rumor, like, oh, so-and-so down the hall of... Uh, I don't know, I think her and her husband fight a lot or something like that. Like, you just yeah. don't get involved, really. You're like, eh. Or you assume somebody else will figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, when... I'm a nosy bitch, so <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? You find out, but I mean, are you going to actually go and report it? Oh, totally. I've called my, the police on neighbors so many times. Oh, well, neighbors different. They deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So when Danny was actually in his early teens, um, he became a peeping Tom. And he would go to his neighbor's windows and watch women undress, and he would masturbate. Uh, He later admitted that he would masturbate while having, like, really dark fantasies of the women. Uh, Danny started drinking as a child, and by age 11, he was an alcoholic and completely dependent on booze. Um, Danny actually tried to commit suicide in his early teens. I think he was around 15 years old when he did this. Um, He wrote in the mirror on the mirror with his like mom's lipstick I tried and then he slit his wrist and then his, his mom ended up finding him and taking him to the hospital which is really sad to me I don't know it really is somebody that young right the first time he got really drunk he came home and tried to fight his father uh, who pinned him down and handcuffed him and then had the police from work come and take him to juvie he was released two weeks later and he told his father that he was either going to run away and he would never see him again or his father consigned to let him enlist in the military when he turned 17. So his father decided to let him join the military, and at age 17, Danny enlisted. He joined the Air Force. He, um, I can't remember what the first one he tried to get into, but he failed the test. So I think it was the, the Navy, actually. I think it was the Navy, I, which would make sense, because he tried to make his father proud yeah, all the time. Yeah, because his dad was in the Navy, and I yeah. think I remember reading that he tried to get into the Navy and was yeah. not. So... So the Air Force will take anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do they call it? They call it Chair Force, right? Yeah. (laughs) You're good. Oh, he arrived at Lackland Air Force Base on June 28th, 1971, and then later was moved to Homestead in Florida. Danny said that this was the only time his father told him that he was proud of him, Uh, but it did not last long. Danny was kicked out of the military at at 19 because he had marijuana 
on him. Possession, which actually I was <laughs> reading uh, somewhere that he was a major alcoholic. So oh, yeah. even when he was in the military, the military, I guess, was having problems with him drinking mm-hmm. like a lot and stuff. They would lock him up a lot, like as punishment for drinking. And then he was taking LSD too. Um, but they found the marijuana on him, and I think that was what they were able to get him on to get him out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh, he moved back home, and he moved in with his grandfather. He got involved in a Pentecostal church, and there he met Omather Halko. And the pair married in 1974, and they had a daughter named Kylie. And now she has her own makeup business. No, I'm just I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Like Kylie Jenner. All right. So Danny was um, unable to keep a job because he drank too much. And then he began to be abusive, just like his father. And he had difficulty performing sexually. Omather filed for divorce. I know. (laughs) Omather was like, like, hell no. So she filed for divorce and left Danny in 1977 after he threatened to kill her. Shortly after they divorced, Danny raped a a woman who resembled his petite brunette ex-wife. So Danny began a burglary stint throughout Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama, and was eventually caught in Georgia at a Winn-Dixie grocery store. He was sentenced to six years in prison and was abused by both prison guards and other inmates. And after he got out, he continued his burglaries and was arrested again. This time... He, when he uh, was talking to his attorney, he instead of going to jail, he actually just asked if they would cut off his hands. Um, obviously, they did not cut off his hands, but I think this is just because he felt like he had no control over himself. Yeah. You know, like, this guy had a rough childhood. Here he tried to commit suicide. He knew that he had a problem with holding a job, drugs, alcohol, like, abuse, and all this stuff. And he's just like, just cut my hands off, like, cut him off kind of a thing you know? yeah i think he definitely fell out of control i this guy i was reading is was like six to 200 pounds like he could defend himself if he wanted to um and as you can see he has no problem overtaking people <laughs> so right. i think he was just had been beaten so much and then felt like he didn't have any control over himself or what was going on yeah so, obviously, they didn't cut off his hands, no. uh, and he spent four more years in jail. In 1988, he returned to, is it Shreveport? Shreveport. Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, after getting out of prison. And right about now is where things start to, you know, get a little bit crazy. Yep. So, now we're in 1989. Uh, Which, before we get crazy, I'm going to take my second yeah, shot. Yeah, I'll take my third shot with you right now. Might as well. So... Uh, I'll say this one's for Devin. This one for you, Devin. <laughs> Thanks, Devin. What is that movie? Is it this, uh, The Secret Life of Pets? Yeah. Where, like, there's, like, a dead animal. Have you seen oh, yeah. the movie? Oh! You know how there's, like, a dead yeah. animal and there's, like, the rabbit? He's like, it's for you, baby. Yes! What is this, the, ra- the name? It's, like, something P, I, I think. Yes, yeah, Scott yeah. P. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's for you, Devin. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <sighs> I have my third one, so I'm all paid up. Don't want anybody calling to collect. I still owe my debt to Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I thought this was, like, a good idea. I was like, oh, this will be fun. And then we got... <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like three signups in two days. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, uh, we're going to start spreading these out. <laughs> oh, man. I had to like wash it out with my margarita. <laughs> That's oh, what I do. <laughs> That's potent. I, I never could understand if I was the drunkest bitch at the party. <laughs> I'll just chase the shot of vodka with my beer. <laughs> That's a good idea, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get back to 1989 yes. when the murders start. On Saturday, November 4th, 1989, in Shreveport, Louisiana, Danny's behavior escalated from burglary and rape to murder. He was fired from his job at Poncho's, which was a Tex Mex buffet restaurant. Which I heard he was like a server. Someone wrote. Like in an article about him, like he was a server to make ends meet. And I was like, okay, bitch, I'm a server. I've been a, well, I'm not a server right now, but I was a server for a very long Me time. <laughs> and this guy got fired from, no offense, but how hard is it to be a server at a fucking buffet? You get fired. <laughs> like, yeah. Panchos, ponchos, Tex Mex. Come I'm on. So ashamed. <laughs> He probably was sampling. It's <laughs> like they're like, um, excuse me, <laughs> those fajitas are for the guests. <laughs> I'll never forget this guy I met in college one time. He got fired from Safeway because he was sampling in the meats department. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I don't know why that stuck with me forever. I was just like, that is hilarious. Stuff in your pockets with turkey. <laughs> Sampling. Oh my gosh. So, Anyways. <laughs> after he got fired, he threatened to hurt his boss, and later that night, still angry, Danny broke into the home of 24-year-old Julie Grissom, a petite brunette, which, you know, sounds familiar, who had been, uh, he had been watching at Dillard's department store in the mall. Julie was a student at Louisiana State University and living with her father, 55-year-old William Tom Grissom an AT&T supervisor with throat cancer. They lived on Beth Lane, which was in the Southern Hill neighborhood of Shreveport. That weekend, Julie's eight-year-old nephew, Sean, was also staying over at the house. It was his birthday weekend, so he was staying over with his aunt and his grandfather as a way to celebrate. They were attacked as the family was preparing for dinner. Tom was found by the laundry room with multiple stab wounds in the back and chest. There was evidence that he had been grilling steaks in the backyard, so he may have been attacked on his way back into the home. You mean he left the steaks? I know. I said I didn't want mine well done, Tom. <laughs> so uh, right, so. They're not listening to this, don't worry. <laughs> so Sean was found in the living room. He had been stabbed once in the back while watching TV, and the knife had gone through the other side into his chest. Julie was found half hanging off the bed, face up and partially naked. She had been found with three stab wounds in the back, and she had been raped. Vinegar had also been poured on her body. A red dress she had planned on wearing to an event later that evening was laid out. They weren't discovered until Monday when Sean's school called his mother to let her know that Sean hadn't been at school. She tried to call her father, but when he didn't answer, she called the police, and instead of going to check on the family, the cops called the neighbors to go next door. And their bodies were discovered by the neighbors. Like, how horrific. Just walk in, check on your neighbors. Is this cop, like, <laughs> like, eating a fucking donut. You want to go near walk next door and, right? like, like, check on check yourself. On this for me? <laughs> what the hell? It's just like, come on, Louisiana. It's ridiculous. That. 
Oh, then cops finally decided to show up, and they said that nothing had been stolen or disturbed, and they described the scene as very neat and clean, which I thought was weird, because, you know, there's three dead bodies in there. (laughs) Yeah, um... I was reading, like, the vinegar being poured on our body was, like, his way of cleaning the body, mm-hmm. you know? And it just, it seemed very staged and, like, premeditated, I think is why they used the word neat. Because yeah. they were like, it wasn't just, like, a crime of passion or, you know, you get into this big struggle. It was like, mm-hmm. I think they actually, in the police report, it said that there was no evidence that he had... Or that there had been a break-in. Yeah. That's why they called it neat. Like, there wasn't a broken window or a busted door frame. Like, he, I can, you know... really see that Tom was in the back grilling the steaks and that Danny was just creeping. And when he saw, like, Tom open up the door to go back inside, that's when he... Which is why struck. I think they originally were looking for people that knew the family mm-hmm. because of how it was. Yeah. So... In May of 1990, Danny shot his father in the head. Um, One article reported that Claudia Rowling, his mom, said that the two had gotten into an argument after her husband told Danny to roll up his car windows because it was raining. And uh, the police reports have a little bit of a... I'm going to go off the police reports for this next part because they say that uh, Danny stormed out of the house and was followed by his dad who was waving around a pistol and then his dad shot four shots and then james went back inside uh james's dad and then danny went to the backyard got a pistol he had stashed in the shed and his father was standing in the doorway to the kitchen and danny kicked the door kicked down the door and was like old man you want to shoot it out or what and then like he shot more shots And uh, I guess one hit his dad in the head and one in the stomach. And his dad survived. I think he just lost an eye. And then Mm -hmm. later James, uh, or not James, Danny said, well, an eye for an eye. And I I mean, I kind of don't feel like he was aiming for the eye. I mean, I feel like he probably actually was trying to kill his dad. I think so, too. Um, But he just later was saying, like, oh, I take an eye for an eye kind of a thing. He was so scared of his dad that I don't think he would have not tried to kill him, you know? Like, I think he'd have been like, oh, shit, if I don't kill him, this is going to be real bad for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't try to kill his dad much sooner, to be honest. Yeah, well, he was always striving for his dad's approval and would still be like, oh, I love you, dad, and his dad would never say it back, so... Right, and we also see, like, a lot of um, serial killers that, you know, like, they have some, like, bent-up resentment towards, like, a, mm-hmm. a parent or something like that. They use, or whoever it is, the object of their... Anger. I want to say an anger, yeah. not affection. Yeah. But um, they're usually, like, the the end game, you know? Yeah. Like, they're the last person they kill. Like, like Ed Kemper. Like Ed Kemper, yeah, right. and his mom. He's killed his mom last kind of a thing. So that, that happens a lot. So I feel like he probably just got in this fit of rage where he's like, I'm fucking doing it. But he probably didn't really want to kill his dad, but he also wasn't really trying to, like, just sideswipe him. Yeah. Kind of what I think. So anyways, and later that year, so that was in May, and later that year in August of the same year, 1990, this is where the real inspiration for Scream starts to come from. So he actually goes to Florida, and he's under the name Michael Kennedy Jr., which is a name he got from some stolen documents that he did in one of his burglaries. 
And these murders, they take place over three different nights in three different apartment complexes. And they're not... Are they in their consecutive nights, too, I believe? Yeah, the 24th, 25th, 26th. Yeah, they're three nights in in a row. So that is something, too, where they're like, is he a serial killer or is he a spree killer? But because he had previously murdered the family before, I think he's considered a serial killer. Oh, uh, the first one was 17-year-old Christina Powell and 18-year-old Sonia. Oh, my God. I need to stop drinking. Sonia Larson. (laughs) They were both freshmen at the University of Florida, and they lived at the Williamsburg apartment. They were followed home by Danny Rowling, and he waited outside near their apartment until the early morning of August 24th, 1990. He entered the apartment through the dining room on the bottom floor by prying it open. He went upstairs and woke up Sonia Larson by putting duct tape over her mouth and tying her up. He raped her and stabbed her multiple times on her arms, thigh, and chest. She was attacked at, like while she was sleeping, so she didn't really have time to react. So a lot of her, um, her the stab wounds, there's one kind of like where she put her arm up over her face, but that was pretty much it for the struggle. Uh, her shirt had been pulled up after her attack, and she was dragged from the top of the bed over the edge of the frame. Her panties were found against the closet door, and a bag with a bloody gray shirt was found by her left knee. Christina Powell was also tied up, and she had duct tape over her mouth. He raped her and forced her onto the floor, and she was found with multiple stab wounds on the middle of her back. Her bra and shirt had been sliced off, and her panties were found near her body, and had traces of Danny rolling semen, which was also found on some paper towels in the kitchen nearby. After he killed Christina, Danning Rawlings went back upstairs and raped Sonia's body. He cut the nipples off of both of the girls after they were dead, took a shower, and then left. Their bodies were found the following Sunday. Their parents couldn't get a hold of the girls, and they called the apartment complex, and a repairman stopped by to check on them. Um, And after there was no response, he called the police. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I read that he took the one of the nipples as like a souvenir yeah it was one of christina's uh on so the next night on august 25th 1990 danny rolling entered 18 year old santa fe college student krista hoyt's duplex through the sliding glass door by priding it open with a screwdriver um he surprised her from behind and put her in a chokehold he raped her and then he forced her onto her stomach and he stabbed her in the back the wound was seven and a half inches in length and penetrated the aorta. Uh, it burst her heart open at her left lung and her breast. Um, yeah, so this actually, I feel like this is part of what kind of inspired Scream because there's this one quote in Scream where Sydney's like, how do you gut someone? And then Stu is like, you take a knife and you slit them from groin to sternum. So I kind of feel like this, you know, ginormous gash in her is kind of like what sort of inspired that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually there, seven and a half inches. She's just really I long. Know. Um, uh, yeah, so her shirt was cut up and was found on her bed with her shorts and her underwear was torn and was on the floor of the bedroom. Her bra was cut in half, 
Um, part of it was on the bed, and the rest was on the floor, which is kind of weird. And there was a used tampon on the floor. So I, I'm assuming maybe she was on her period and he pulled it out, threw it on the floor. Um, her blood led from the front door to the bedroom, indicating she had been dragged there after her death. Danny moved, he actually moved a bookcase that had been in the front entrance of the duplex to the bedroom, and he pushed it against the wall across from the bed, um, and he decapitated her, and he placed her head on the bookcase. So he, like, fully staged her death area, or where her body was found. Mm -hmm. Um, And he faced the bed, he had her head facing the bed, where he then posed her body sitting up in the bed with her socks and shoes still on, and her nipples had also been cut off and were sitting on the bed beside her. And she was found the following Sunday night after failing to report uh, to work at the sheriff's department, which is kind of ironic that she worked for the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. I think she was actually one of the people that helped with uh, the calls, is what I read. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what Um, she was, a screener. Right. Yeah. Uh, Deputy O'Hara, sorry, was sent to check on her, and when she didn't answer the door... um, he and the duplex's landlord, uh, they walked around with a sliding glass door, and they were able to see her body sitting up in bed, which is super freaky. Ugh, yeah. Oh, gosh. So the next night, 23-year-old Tracy Pauls returned home from vacation the night of Sunday, August 26th. She talked on the phone with her friend Lisa Beyer, who told her about the murders of Christina Powell and Sonia Larson. They talked on the phone until 1 a.m., so at this point, um, Krista's body hadn't been found quite yet, but people were already freaking out because of Christina and Sonia. Um, her roommate at the Gatorwood apartment complex was Manuel Manny Taboda. He returned home from his bartending job around 1.30 a.m. After they went to sleep, Danny Rowling entered the apartment through the sliding glass door in the living room. All the sliding glass doors were creep me out. <laughs> I only have sliding glass doors, like, in my apartment. And I just, I don't know, they freak me out. Okay. I hate when people <laughs> have sliding glass doors that don't have, like, blinds on them. Like, or curtains, you know? And you can just see, like, yeah. out into the yard and it's just, like, pitch black. Mm-hmm. I hate like, I that know. so much. I was at this one house and it's, like, out in the middle of the hills, in the middle of nowhere. And... Like, all the windows... Even the front door was glass, actually. The front door was a glass door, and all the windows and everything. And nothing had blinds or curtains on it, and I was like, I don't like that. I could totally see someone staring at me, or... Right? You just look over, and there's a face. Oh, God. (laughs) The other day, my roommate scared herself to death because the we have a window right by our kitchen sink, and she was washing ditches, and it was at night... So she looked up in her reflection, <laughs> scared her, and she was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, dude, I do that like six times a day. <laughs> Jumpy. Especially with the stuff that we watch and listen to. <laughs> Who that? I don't know how I sleep at night. <laughs> so Danny Rowling entered through the sliding glass door. He went into Manuel's room first, and he stabbed him. But he woke up during the attack, which... You would. And started to fight back. Manny was a football player, and in order to subdue him, Rawlings stabbed him 31 times. Oh, 
Now, Tracy woke up when she heard the commotion. She walked down the hall and she saw what was happening with, with Manny. And then she ran back down the hall to barricade herself in her room. Danny finished up with Manuel, followed, and he broke down her door by ramming himself against it. He taped her mouth shut and tied her up before raping her. He stabbed her multiple times and then dragged her off her bed by the feet and down the hallway. Her body was found with a towel and dish soap between her legs. Her curtains had been taped shut with duct tape, and items from her bathroom, like a curling iron, were found in the hall, and the contents of her purse had been spread out over the bed. That's so weird. I know. Also, like, the dish soap. Was he, like, scrubbing, like, down there? Yeah, so... (laughs) Christina was found with dish soap too between her legs, but the bottle. I wonder if he's like trying, like with to the get vinegar, DNA or something. He might have, and that. But DNA is not really like a thing at this time. Well, it's nineteen ninety. They're starting to use it more. It's not as like it is today. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got confused on what time it was actually, or what year it was. Yeah. It's, yeah. But I mean, just throwing some dish soap in isn't going to do anything. <laughs> Oh, their bodies for you serial killers out there. Just so, no. <laughs> oh, their bodies were found the following Wednesday after Tracy didn't return Lisa Byer's phone calls. Byer called a friend to check on her, and a maintenance man opened the apartment and found their bodies. It's so creepy that Tracy was on the phone with her friend the same night about you know the other deaths that uh, Danny had been committing, and then she yeah. herself was targeted. That's like that's like a scream movie, mm-hmm. you know, where they like are on the phone talking about it. Yep. Also, these poor landlords that keep having to find these bodies. I know and stuff. It's neighbors and landlords and maintenance men. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's difficult. Actually, my aunt she she died, you know, natural causes, but it was the landlord that found her. Uh, the apartment manager actually. And I was just thinking, like, oh my gosh, like the things that apartment managers must see is beyond me. I don't even know. Uh, so much. Yeah, at the time of these murders, though, the city of Gainesville in Florida only had a population of 84,000, so it's pretty small. And it's definitely like, a, it's a small college town. So people are just going crazy. The police are completely baffled by this. Residents are terrified. Um, this, all these murders happened like the week before school started at the college. This is like in August and I can't remember what the number was, but a significant amount of students like actually went back home. They're like, I'm skipping the semester or Mm -hmm. the year, you know, they like, which I would, to be honest, I'd be on the first plane back, be like, bye. Like, Like, why can I go on the opposite side of the country? Exactly. And then a lot of the kids were uh, sleeping in other people's dorms and apartments, like in giant groups of like 20, 20 and 30, like they're all like sleeping together. I think it was terrifying because the fact that Manny was this big football player and this guy got taken out, that just makes it all the more terrifying and these murders were extremely grotesque and gruesome i mean like in the movie scream how he like poses these bodies puts them you know like was he put like the coach's body on the was the football field and things like that or the garage door and stuff Mm -hmm. like he poses them in weird ways it's so similar i mean it's just absolutely horrible morbid grotesque i mean the time that that guy must have spent in the apartment to do that after 
it's not an easy thing to like first of all to capitate someone yeah but then to spend your time like moving them. moving shit around to like have it set up in yeah, a he's like pushing a bookcase way. from another room down the hallway to her bedroom just so that he can have a place to prop her head it's just I can't even get my uh, brother to help me move a bookcase <laughs> gosh yeah also, like, this whole thing makes me never want to sleep on the couch because wasn't it, like, was it the last murder where one of them was, like, sleeping on the couch and he kind of stood over their body and then went upstairs? That was the first one with Christina and oh, Sonia. Oh, the first one. Yeah, so he was watching <sighs> Christina sleep for a little bit and then went and, and like, murdered Sonia first out. and then came back down and got Christina. And with all of these murders, he, like, stabs them in the back, mm-hmm. but then he positions them where they're, like, face up. Yeah. So he's, like, handling these bodies pretty well after killing them. Mm-hmm. It's just... just I know. Anyway, so on September 7th, so not very long after this, um, he, in 1990... So actually... Back this up. They they didn't really have a suspect at the time mm-hmm. when these were happening. It was so random and bizarre. Police could not figure out a motive or anything of like that. There was a student that went to the school, the college, that had um, some mental illness history. So he actually was investigated, but his DNA or, or blood did not match the stuff at the crime scene, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of sad because I was reading the reports and like people were like so willing to sell this guy out. Like, oh, he was always weird and stuff. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> like there was like a I can't gosh I'm look up his name, but he uh, one of his neighbors was saying like I knew he was a weird weird guy just just from the time he was a little boy and I'm like this guy doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, but. It was not him. So on September 7th, 1990, this is like two weeks later, Danny is arrested uh, for a burglary in Ocala. I think it's Ocala, Florida. Yeah, I think so. I'm sorry if I said it wrong. I've (laughs) never been to Florida. But uh, he was living like a wild man, like freaking Bear Grylls out in the woods with like a half-assed tent near the college apartment complex. And... I think, if I can remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, the police had gone out to those woods for something, and they saw Danny's tent campsite there, and then that's when they were kind of like, wait, what is this guy, and these tools match this stuff from some of this other thing, so they started like investigating it more, and then arrested him, And, and then they realized that the tools that they found actually matched the tools that were from the Gainesville murders. Mm-hmm. He also had, like, audio diaries, like a tape recorder and stuff. Cause, just... So this guy... Yeah, we have to get back. This guy thought he was, like, going to be a country star also. I just one second. I just picture him out in the woods, like, at night, turning on his little tape recorder, and he's all testing, testing. All right, okay. Dear diary. <laughs> So, I actually have... I know, dude. I actually have a song here. Um, I'm going to play just like two seconds of it. It's him playing guitar and singing. And this is what he would do out in the woods. Like, with his little shitty-ass tent and everything like that. So, see if I can get this to play. And I was reading the comments and this one person's like, I have a really hard time reconciling with myself that I actually like this song. (laughs) It's like, I get it. 
doing that trying to be the next bob dylan <laughs> and uh he's out there i don't know squatting with his stolen goods wow. and his guitar and his tape recorder <laughs> and talking about i don't know how he kind of hinted at all this shit uh he was charged with five counts of first degree murder and three counts of sexual battery and three counts of armed burglary of dwelling with battery on november of 1991. He wasn't charged for the Grissom murders at this point. The, remember the family um, that he murdered before the college ones? Because they, they actually didn't know he was responsible for that at the time. So it was only for the college student ones at the Gainesville murders. After his arrest, Danny claimed they had multiple personalities. One personality he claimed was like a Jesse James-esque character named Enad. Which Enad is actually Danny spelled backwards. Yep. And so Enad was supposed to drive him to steal, and then his other personality was a Gemini who encouraged encouraged him to murder. Yeah, so here's the thing. He goes into great detail, actually, about this dark, evil spirit, Gemini, and he says that Gemini's pushed him to do a lot of things over the years. He talks about in his teens. He talks about when he was married. And that Gemini is the one that pushed him to commit some of the really heinous sexual acts at these Gainesville murder crime scenes. Here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have seen The Exorcist number three, but the main possessed killer is called the Gemini killer. Mm -hmm. And the language to communicate with the demons is English, but backwards. So like Enid is backwards, Danny, Mm -hmm. and the spirit Gemini. Just kind of feel like, don't try to fool us horror movie fans over here. Yeah, and then you see, like, back to Scream, where you have this killer who's using, like, different, like, horror movie tropes to commit the murders. And so he's just taken from these movies and pretending to be, you know, Gemini. Coming coming up with, like, some big old, oh, well, I must be possessed or have multiple personalities Mm -hmm. or something, because... Because the 90s, so the 70s and the 80s is, I think, when a lot of horror movies were at their peak. I mean, we have Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. The Exorcist, The Guys, The Shining, like, all these movies are coming out. They're, especially in the 70s and 80s, when, when this guy's growing up, Demon Possession is, like... Everyone's ratting out their weird-ass cousin in the 70s. Because <laughs> they saw The Exorcist, and they were like, Oh, dude, I think my cousin's possessed. And I stuff. saw like, him people, talking to his cat. He has the devil in him. They them. were going crazy. <laughs> they were going absolutely crazy. What was it? Son of Sam said that the dog made him do it. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking to a demon-possessed dog, apparently. So a lot of these criminals, and I'm not saying that demon possession doesn't happen, but a lot of these criminals... We're using that as an excuse, like Son of Sam, who later confessed, yeah, I made it up. But, you know, they know that the media eats that shit up and... They'll make the news. Amer- Americans eat that shit yeah. up. Dr. Mahone had originally diagnosed Danny, and in her opinion, Danny's primary diagnosis was multiple personality disorder, just like Danny was claiming. 
with antisocial features. However, in 1991, after he was arrested, Dr. Harry Kropp examined Danny, but said he showed no signs of having multiple personalities, but did show signs of having narcissism, borderline personality disorder, violent mood swings, antisocial and self-destructive behaviors. During the trial, the prosecution showed Dr. Mahone the trips from the movie The Exorcist, and she said she actually remembered Danny saying he had seen the movie the week of the killings, but she had not made the connection. She still thought he had a personality disorder, though, which is probably her trying to cover her own ass. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) If you're in that field and you're talking to someone with these kind of dark things, I feel like I'd be a little up to speed on some of the... Especially something like The Exorcist 3, which is probably a blockbuster at the time you know yeah it's huge and if you like even heard a hint that oh it has these multiple multiple personalities as like a psychologist or um whatever she happened to be you should be up to speed on that stuff because people are super influenced by movies and especially somebody who is showing like signs of being delusional like danny is you know you'd think maybe this is how he came to that conclusion. From 1991 to 1994, Danny Rollin pled not guilty and filed several motions including to sever the indictments at each residence and conduct separate trials for each residence to suppress evidence found at his campsite, claiming it went against his Fourth Amendment right to suppress statements he made to law enforcement because it went against his Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights and for a change of venue outside of Alchua County. But all motions were denied. Four years after the Gainesville murders, Danny Rowling was brought to a trial by attorney Len Register. Before the trial could really begin, Danny unexpectedly pleaded guilty to all charges. Um, And this, if you remember, is still not the Grissom murders, just the Gainesville. So they were able to move into the penalty phase of the prosecution. Photos of the Gainesville murders were shown to the jury, and Claudia Rowling and one of Danny's ex-girlfriends, Lillian Mills, both came to defend Danny so he wouldn't get a death sentence. Both said that he had been abused by his father and was mentally ill, so didn't deserve to die. This was to no avail. Danny Rawlings was sentenced to death by lethal injection on April 20th, 1994. I think that he decided to plead guilty um, so that they would probably go or he thought would go easy on him um, and maybe take the death penalty off the table. He was, you know, filing those motions that you mentioned right up before and then, you know, denied, denied, denied. And then I felt like he kind of gave up and was just like, all right, I'm guilty. Um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, Rowling said he wanted to be a superstar um, and get the status of like Ted Bundy. I don't think he quite made it, despite the Scream movies in the 2010 film, The Gainesville Ripper. Which Everybody... I've never heard of until I started working on this. <laughs> Me either. And I'm like, it didn't come out that long ago, but I think it was an indie film. Uh, uh, yeah. And then even Scream, yeah. like, not really if anyone knows that, that he's the guy behind the inspiration of Scream. Yeah, it's just, you know, based on it. It's not ex- the story of him or anything like that. Right. So everybody knows Ted Bundy. Um, people who aren't even interested in true crime know Ted Bundy. There's podcasts, there's documentaries um, that are dedicated to him and his crimes. <laughs> there's a Zac Efron movie. Um, so which he's I thought very it was a terrible film. I don't remember it that much. I remember watching it because I was like, "Ooh, Ted Bundy, ooh, right. Zac Efron," but then I <laughs> like. 
now I don't really remember it, so it, it just, probably um, wasn't that good. You know, I think it was on Netflix or something like mm-hmm. that. It was made for Netflix. And I just felt like, this is not interesting, and they made Ted Bundy too attractive. I mean, yeah. he's he's not super attractive. He still has he's a like creepy, a fucking unibrow. He still has a creepy <laughs> look to him, you know? Yeah. And... I just felt like, I felt like it was a little bit more from the perspective of his wife and, like, mm-hmm. trying to give us a reason why she would stay with him, in a way. I don't know. Yeah. It was a weird thing. Um, I know a lot of people that get all their Ted Bundy information from that video, and I'm like, it was not accurate. <laughs> no, and I, it wasn't a documentary. It's Exactly. Like, it's, it's a like movie. It's a movie. <sighs> And a lot of the stuff in there, yeah, it happened, but it's not explaining the reasons behind or why or going into it. I also felt like what I remember of it is that they were trying to make Ted Bundy into the star. And, yeah, okay, yeah, he's famous, but he's not, like, some superstar. He's a disgusting human being or Yeah, was, he doesn't whatever. deserve... Yeah. He definitely doesn't deserve Zac Efron playing. <laughs> no! He's not some movie star hunk. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ruin that for me. (laughs) Anyway, so Danny was, he was big news, though, at the time of the murders. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone was hearing about the Gainesville murders. It was horrible, disgusting. Um, Rawling was eating all this shit up, and he would love to make, like, reporters really nervous and, like, shock them with things he was going to say, like... Uh, like, I guess this, I, I was reading this one article and this one reporter was saying about, uh, a conversation he had with Rawlings that just really stuck with him. And I guess Rawlings tells him like, have you ever held titties in your hands? And I'm sorry, just, but yeah, he says titties. that. Titties. But, uh, the reporter's <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, of course I have quite a few times. He's all like shifty eyed. I'm not a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? No. But he's just saying that. And then, uh, but then Rawlings looked at him. He's like, no, I mean, literally holding a woman's breast that has been cut away. Like, really holding them in your hands. So gross. Which is disgusting. And, like, as you remember, he did that on those poor college girls. He cut the nipples off. And kept one. Yeah. I don't know. Gross. He, yeah, he was definitely big news at the time. I think now, though, in 2020, people wouldn't even know who Danny Rowling was if they weren't, you know, interested in true crime, or maybe if they in, are interested in true crime, they might know who he is, um, despite the Scream movies. And even then, I don't think people would know that Scream is based off of a true story. They're just like, oh, this is a funny movie, a meta movie about horror movies. It's just silly. There's, like, five of them. <laughs> Which is this true. This can't be real. It's yeah. true. I mean, it is, like, this, you know, he built on it. But the, he was inspired by this slasher story here. So, anyways, while this guy's in jail, he somehow manages to write two books. And he uses, like, every opportunity he can to display his stupid twangin' bangin' country hymns. Which I'm going to play a clip for you that he actually did in a courtroom uh, a little bit here. Uh, One of the authors that helped him write his quote-unquote story was motherfucking Sandra London, who I think is a total shitty person with some serious shitty issues. I would agree. Uh, She's a true crime author, but she's not a true crime fan like us. Like, she's like a literal, literal fan of the crimes and the killers, like... 
I am more interested in this in this stuff, and I would say I have an interest in the psychological behavior behind it. But I'm not over here like masturbating to the yeah, like good job. Yeah, like wow, cut all these girls up. You know, like what the hell? Yeah. And over here, like Ted Bundy, like I'm saying, like I'm not like this girl's like, oh my god, he's so hot. No, if you're out there and you're like that. You got fucking issues. So. Yeah, you need to go see and talk to like a therapist. Oh, see these someone. people are disgusting. Or the woman who like write letters to serial killers in prison, and they're just like, "Oh my gosh. let's get gauged." There's so <laughs> many women what is wrong that with are, you? Um, yeah, that are like, quote unquote, engaged or married to people in prison, and I'm like, what? Like, you know what they did? What and is usually, the benefit of that too? Like, like with him and with Ted Bundy, like they did that to women. Like, yeah. Why are you okay with that? Not like, that it would be okay if they killed a man, but like they targeted women in horrific ways. They could do that you to see. you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a thrill for them, like the. I bad think it boy is the thrill, thrill thing because they know they're never getting out. So they're like, all right, well, we can. I can have this engagement. I can have some notoriety. I can write these letters to the sicko, but he can't touch me. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation altogether. When, uh, so Sandra met Rawling when he was in prison and they co-authored a book together called The Making of a Serial Killer, The Real Story of the Gainesville Murders, which in that Rawling actually drew a bunch of pictures that he put in there and he somewhat kind of confesses to the infamous crimes and to other crimes that he had not been convicted for. And both Sandra and Rowling were actually sued by the state of Florida under the Son of Sam law, which is where, yeah, so the Son of Sam law is, it's basically stating that convicted criminals cannot profit off of their crimes, such as like selling their stories to filmmakers, authors and stuff. Um, this, This law started from how I was talking about Son of Sam earlier, David Berkowitz. Um, He had talked about selling, wanting to sell his idea and his pitch about the whole fucking dog possession thing and all his crimes everything to filmmakers. So the state of New York was like, oh, hell no, you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if a criminal does write something or produce something that does profit, the victim's families are actually the ones who, I believe, get those profits. Yeah, which is totally fair. So I read this book um, that's by Sandra and Danny. It's fucking insane. Like, he doesn't refer to himself as, like, I. He just says, like, oh, Danny went and did this, or Danny went and did that. Like, he's talking about a different person. Um, she does the forward for it, and she says, like, oh, like, I'm the only one who truly sees him. Like, I love him, and that's what I knew, like, what the fuck is gonna happen right here. He makes himself out to be a victim throughout the entire thing. He doesn't sound apologetic. Um, I feel like he inflates how people feel about him as well like when he's talking about his aunt he's like putting words in his aunt's mouth like oh he was such he's such a beautiful boy he's such an angel and (laughs) stuff like that i'm just like dude you're writing that about yourself like you're insane oh that book it was i didn't finish all of it because it was a very difficult read but because of how just disgusted i was right and it's like okay the guy did have a very shitty, shitty, and terrible childhood and upbringing. I would never wish that on anyone. No. At all. But 
there are people that have also had an equally shitty childhood and they don't go out and murder people. Mm -hmm. And especially in such a premeditated and disgusting way. Yeah, we were talking about that too when there was the Golden State Killer, Joe D'Angelo. He also had a messed up childhood. Right. There's no excuse at all. I could see... Not that this is justifiable, but I could see if he had snapped one day on his dad and killed his dad, like how he kind of almost did. Yeah. And that was the end of it. That Mm -hmm. would be like, okay, that kind of makes sense to me because your dad tortured you your whole life and tortured your family. But for you to go and take this out on innocent people and just... I feel like they use it as a try to... A free pass for their already sick thoughts that are already there. Like he's done so many different... He's trying to go down so many different roads, too. I mean, first he's like, oh, well, I'm possessed by this demon, and I've seen this demon my whole life, and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into the whole, well, I have all this stress from my childhood. And then Mm -hmm. he goes into, well, actually, I'm a cocky son of a bitch, and I want to be the next Ted Bundy. And then he goes to, I'm the victim. You know, like, he's just Mm -hmm. all It's never his fault. No. No, not at all. So, Sandra and Danny were, quote-unquote, engaged, which, again, I do not fucking understand how that happens when you're in jail. But, oddly enough, Danny Rawling is not the first murderer slash serial killer that Sandra has dated. Wow. Couldn't see that coming. Uh, She also dated the killer Gerard John Schaefer Jr., but she actually dated him in high school before he was a killer, But then after he was later arrested, uh, she decided to work with him and write a book, which was a collection of short stories called Killer Fiction, um, which a lot of people think is not really fiction. It's more like John Schaefer describing what he did. But they started dating again during that period of them writing the book. But then she, I guess, broke up with him because he said he threatened to kill her if she released some of the personal letters that, that I guess, held his quote-unquote confessions. Um, so she's like, bye, boy. <laughs> and then she, uh, when Rawling and Sandra were engaged, he would write her songs and letters, and he'd paint for her and draw for her. And one time he was in court... Um, which I'm actually going to go ahead and play this for you right now. He, he, the court, the judge, like, asked him, like, if he had anything, comment to say, and he just turned to Sandra and started singing. So let me play that for you right now. Could I address the court? I recall the day I first saw you. I reached out to say I love you. But it was hard to say. I couldn't touch you And all you wanna be Deep or shallow Okay, excuse me, Mr. Ron Down Mr. the Ron. path you Mr. Ron To follow Mr. Ron Tell me, baby, what were They're all like, dude, <laughs> shut up This is all we meant it's all over here, like, in the courtroom. Can you imagine that? You're, like, in there, and he just turns and looks at her, and she's probably like, oh, my God. She's all dancing in the corner <laughs> Fucking psycho, dude So he was executed Halloween week on October 25th, 2006. Shortly before this, he hand wrote a letter and confessed to the Grissom murders. Um, So he was never convicted of those, but he he did confess finally. So they knew what happened to that poor family. 
Uh, yeah, no. They, uh, well, also they found his DNA or something that linked it to it. So I actually don't remember if they found the DNA that linked him to it before his death or after his death, but the police did determine that he was linked to those Christmas murders besides the letter. Mm -hmm. Um, His final meal was lobster tail with shrimp, baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. Very southern. (laughs) Sometimes I think about what my last meal would be. I honestly... I would have so much dairy because it wouldn't be able to <laughs> it hit matter. me. It wouldn't matter. It'd be dead. Uh, uh, well, we're going to wait myself six anyway. to eight hours before we hang you. And you're like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to be on the toilet the entire time. You already yourself die anyways. <laughs> yeah. God, what would I eat? I'd probably eat something bougie-ass like surf and turf too, though. Like, oh, yeah. I would like have like the best cut steak, some mashed potatoes. I don't know. I always think of Dexter when um, he's, like, trying to find... I cannot remember her name, but it's, like, the woman that helped kind of care for him. The best key lime pie. And Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's such I know a disgusting scene, though, because yep. he's all, like, spoon-feeding it, and she's all slobbered. <laughs> oh, the best key lime pie. <laughs> disgusting. So gross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't like key lime pie, actually, so that would not be my last meal. Um, and in California, we have the death penalty, but I don't think... Do, we still have the death penalty here. But yeah, we, we never, do. We never use it, though. It usually gets <laughs> overturned, yeah. But um, we still have it. We still have it. I think we're one of the few states that actually does still have it, but we just yeah. never use it. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know. really know how I feel about the death penalty, in general because sometimes there's so much doubt of like did they really do it or not and you put an innocent person to death but like in this case fry him <laughs> like, okay Ted Bundy over here <laughs> I'm kidding but like um and that's true like okay like Scott Peterson we're, we're actually gonna do a mini soda on this for all you Patreon followers yes. but you know he got his death penalty overturned and I think that that's actually like the right decision yeah. Because it, there's not, like, this guy's evidence and DNA was all over the frickin' place. And he later mm-hmm. admitted it. And the guy did not have extreme disorders that would cause, I don't know. Like, it's just, who, yeah, am, I I'm to, not, who am I to take someone's life, though? I really guess I can't say. Yeah, uh, that's where I have a hard time, too, because I'm just like, it's not up to me. And I don't want to celebrate anybody's death, no matter how disgusting they are, because I just feel like that's sick and that that separates us from them you know but um i mean if anybody was gonna get it it's somebody like this yeah definitely uh his final words were guess what him singing <laughs> apparently he kept singing uh none greater than thee none greater than thee none greater than thee oh lord so some people felt really weird about that like it was almost him saying no one's greater than him, and then other people like to say that, oh, he changed his ways and got saved. I don't really know. The guy's a weirdo, but... A lot of times before they they die, they, you know, they, like, say, oh, I'm so sorry this happened, or they apologize to the family, so, like, I regret what I did, and so I know a lot of people, like, the families that were there, of the people that he murdered, were upset because he didn't seem to be showing any like remorse he was just singing right it's it's a weird thing and especially when killers like suddenly repent right before they die 
That's, they're just covering their bases. You know yeah. the movie The Mummy from the 90s? Yeah. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. So, you know, that little guy, he, like, when the mummy comes for him, he's, like, pulling out, like, the Star of David, the cross, and he's, like, saying prayers in every single yeah. language. So he's, like, trying to cover his bases. Because he meets the maker. It just feels like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that is the Gainesville Ripper um aka danny rollin who's just aka ghostface aka ghostface <laughs> i'm gonna take my last shot here for taylor tay tay um like we said join us uh, let me go and drink this one actually real quick and then we'll talk after <laughs> gosh i get too old for this shit um <laughs> woo, it's got a little burn I work at 8 a.m. and I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> I'm on unemployment, <laughs> which is why you should join our Patreon. <laughs> yes, perfect segue. We're poor. <laughs> yeah, so look us up on Patreon.com at Crimes and Cocktails, or you can check out our Instagram at Crimes and Cocktails. Or if you have anything to say, like maybe you want to hear more uh, of. I don't know, the game Bill Ripper's tunes, which I think are actually on Apple iTunes. Uh, you're, you, I don't know, whatever. You got something to say to me, whatever. Uh, you want to holler at your girl? Then you can also email, because people still email these days, at crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. And uh, what was I going to say? So, like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, for our patrons on Patreon, we're going to be doing some small many episodes for your enjoyment that oh, yeah. go along with our normal every week episodes um so our first one is going to be an update on the scott peterson case um yeah you know just be 15 20 minutes be a little bit more casual than this which i don't know how that's possible but it will be and we'll uh, uh just have some extra content for you guys also if anyone is interested so a lot of the um that's what i was going to say actually our sources <laughs> uh, oh, right. if anyone is interested <laughs> in learning more about the games film ripper because we tried to sum this up into one episode um it could easily have been like a five-parter or something i got a lot of this from the florida supreme court files and i will put that link in our patreon actually uh if anyone wants to do some late night reading <laughs> before bed <laughs> right before bed right so some of our sources were like i said the florida supreme court cases um then the book written by sandra and Danny is uh, the making of serial killer, the real story of Gainesville student murders in the killer's own words. Bleh. Alligator.org. Is that really a website? Yep. Wait, what is alligator.org? Florida, my friend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Has anyone done the Florida man and then you type in your birthday? So my brother did that. You type in your birthday, like my birthday is February 21st, and you type that in, and then you type in Florida Man after, and it will show you the most ridiculous things. My brother typed his in, and it was like, Florida Man throws alligator through drive-through window. Mine was, (laughs) Florida Man throws toilet off second story building. It's amazing. I'm trying to look at mine right now. Mine is a Florida man. Robert John Hamilton Santiago was arrested after punching another man in the face. The victim went to a bar called World of Beer to speak with his wife, who was a patron, when he was assaulted by another man. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous. There was one that was like Florida man punches alligator in the in the nose, and I don't know. Like it's it's pretty fun, fun game to do. 
Anyways, so alligator.org is not the same thing, but check that out. Uh, Shreveport Times and the Gainesville Sun. And since it's Halloween, I'm going to leave mm-hmm. you all with a little bit of the monster mash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the monster match. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abode To get a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun The party had just begun The guests included Wolfman, Dracula and his son The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds The coffin bangers were about to arrive With their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the match. Now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band. And my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is sent. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. Mash. Easy, Igor. You impetuous 